Hello, and welcome to another edition of Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Jeff Moser. Today's episode of Trawler Talk is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue-water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With a model line ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts is the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Now, it's time for our podcast. With summer drawing to a close in less than a month, we're heading right into one of my favorite parts of the year, weather-wise, in the Northeast and New England. And that's late summer to those first throws of winter. The way I see it, there's still a sizable window of glorious weather to be enjoyed by cruisers before it's simply too chilly for most of us. And if you use your boat as much as you envision in the spring, there's going to be maintenance projects that need addressing that'll ensure a better end to the boating season and perhaps an easier start to next year's cruising. To me, I think of this time as the seventh inning stretch. Still a lot of baseball to be played and anything can happen. Our guest today is Pete Fredrickson, Passage Maker's DIY columnist and a longtime writer and editor in the recreational marine space. Pete holds a 100-ton Master Mariner license and has captained yachts, charter boats, and commercial fishing vessels all over the world. In addition, he also served nearly two decades as a critical executive at a stateside major yacht manufacturer, adding to his repertoire of construction and engineering experience. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So I'm here with Pete Fredrickson, and we were talking last week or maybe the week before about how the months of September and October are just incredible cruising months in the Northeast, and a lot of people pull their boats out of the water, and really, it's almost like a mid-season for us, don't you think, Pete? Absolutely, uh, Jeff. Like September and October, the, the, the fall is just a beautiful time to be on the water because the temperature is cool. You know, you start out maybe with a sweatshirt, but by midday you're in short sleeves. And um, it just seems like it's it's a great time of the year because there's so much activity. You know, fish are starting to move, migratory, and, and, and there's just a lot going on. And it's probably... Um, in my life, it's always the best part of the year to be on the water. And uh, I love being on the water every day. But the fall just seems like it's the dessert of uh, the whole season. Yeah, agreed, agreed, especially here in the Northeast. And, you know, we're not as fortunate to be living in Southern California or Florida where they have the 12 months a year of the cruise. But, you know, you made a point about talking about a mid-season maintenance checklist just to sort of, you know, really keep everything up to snuff and ensure that the end of the boating season is a good one. So what do you think about that? Like, how do, where do you start? It's basically is, you know, when you think about people, when they're getting ready in the springtime, they spend a lot of time with maintenance, getting everything ready. And then they start using the boat. But then midway through the season, um, the boat is aged. Your equipment is aged. And all of the systems that you started in Bristol condition, they've got some time on them. They've got hours on them. So, it's important that you don't uh, fall into the habit of maintaining something one time. It, it, it doesn't hurt to look at all your equipment, everything that's on the boat, mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Uh, it may be things that you're not even using, but all of a sudden you want to turn on. And and the more you're uh, familiar with your boat and you know how things are, um, it doesn't take long to do like a mid-season wandering around and just checking all those systems to make sure that they're up to snuff. The, the one big difference in the, when you're boating 
in the second, what I call the second summer, mm -hmm. there's less boats on the water. So you are really much more uh, needing to be self-sufficient toward this part of the year than you would be when there's just a lot of people on the water. And um, if you get in trouble or you need a tow or something like that, you're on your own. So you're really up, uh, you're really responsible for <laughs> what kind of day you have. Yeah. And um, that's, so to me, the second time, to really enjoy the second part of the of season is to be sure that the boat is going to start every time you go down to it, all your systems are going to operate, mm -hmm. and you're going to have a good time. Okay. Well, Pete, you're a man of checklists. I know that. A man of keeping a list and some logs. So how do you approach this task? Where do you start? Let's, let's say the engine room. Tell me about what you do engine, there. Engine room. The engine room is the number one place to start because that's mm -hmm. where all the money is. That's where all the equipment is. And that's where, uh, if you're going to have a problem, that, that's where you're going to start with. So for me, uh, you know, depending upon whether you're using um, whatever you're doing, obviously the engines, um, if, they, if you have a, your raw water filters for the engines, those uh, baskets need to be inspected regularly. Um, over the summertime, all that water that's flowing through there, coursing through the engine mm -hmm. to keep it cool, uh, they collect marine life. The warmer the temperature is, you do get things growing in there. Um, as the water cools off, you don't have as much growth, but what growth is in there is still in there. So it pays to look at those strainers. Um, if you hold a flashlight behind them, sometimes you can't see them because they're in a bad location. But if you can hold a flashlight behind the basket, and even if you use a mirror, you can see what's behind there without needing to open it up. But it's important to know that you can open up that filter if and when needed, whether it's with a spanner wrench, whether it's with a, a wrench to unloose some uh, fasteners. Mm -hmm. But you need to be familiar with how important that water is. So you'll have it on your engines. You'll have it on your generator. You'll have it on your air conditioning systems, your uh, raw water washdowns. All of these um, systems rely on a constant flow of water. While you're looking at it, it gives you a chance to to look at the hoses and look at the hose clamps. Um, a lot of people put on hose clamps that aren't all stainless steel, so parts of them tend to rust. Um, and it's good to look at those things on a regular basis. And it really does ensure that the engines and other systems are going to have the water that they need. So there's no, it, it's a, it's generally speaking, if it's okay, it's fine. But in five or 10 minutes looking at those things, you can save yourself a lot of headaches. And also it can remind you of the need to service them. Maybe not today, but the next time you have a rainy day and you're on the boat and you're looking for something to do, you know, empty out those filters and make sure that the, um, the through hole valves themselves, they work and uh, you're able to um, just ensure the water flow is there and all your machinery is happy and will talk to you when you hit that start button. Yeah, those valves should open and close pretty easily, right? If you feel a little res um, resistance or there's it's, some problem with that, you need to address that right away probably, correct? You, you do, and it's also um, important to not get into a tug-of-war with some of those fittings because – they are, uh, a lot of them are metallic, and uh, force sometimes has a way of breaking. Mm -hmm. um, and I generally tell people, 
you should exercise those valves at least once, you know, once a month, even yeah. if you're not going to, you know, take your fittings apart uh, for the uh, for the strainers themselves. But just to make sure you can shut that valve off, if a hose breaks and um, you can't open up or close that fitting, uh, you, you're in a situation that's going to change rapidly. Yeah. And um, it's, it, it can be very, very dangerous. And at the same time, if you notice that you can't open it or you can't close it, mm-hmm. the best thing is to leave it alone, but make a note that when the boat gets hauled out, it gets addressed. Those are things that really can't be worked on when the boat's in the water. Um, so if it's not working, uh, I, I, and this is from, because I've broken some of the handles off sometimes mm-hmm. and really wondered, oh, I'm glad I was doing that because uh, I just created a big problem for myself. Yeah. But the point being that if they don't operate smoothly, then when the boat is hauled out, mm-hmm. they should be taken apart. If you have the boat yard do it, whatever, take it apart, cleaned up, and put back together again in Greece. Sometimes those things are never, ever, ever done. And the day you need to shut off a valve, you'll be hating life if you can't get it shut. Yeah, due diligence. Um, yeah, and I was thinking of this the other day, Pete, another thing. Um, someone told me a statistic that um, the sun is going to go down before 8 o'clock now up until next May will be the next time. May, see. Yeah, yes, it's, sir. It's slightly <laughs> depressing because it gets dark so early, but you know what that means is you're going to be spending some time running at night if you have a day on the water that turns into a, you know, whether you're fishing or cruising, you're going to be running at night. So how do you make sure your nav lights and all your other stuff's up to snuff? Absolutely. Uh, you know, you leave in the dark and you come home in the dark and, and nav lights are something that you never turn them on, even if you, you just don't unless you need them, mm-hmm. but you're not going to know if they work until you pull the switch. And then when you pull the switch, a lot of people go around and they'll hit their, uh, take their hand and smack the, the housing or something to get the ball possibly to make better contact. The Fonzie but the move. truth is, it's it's sort of uh, you need you need to be seen on the water at night, and it's very very it's scary to be out on the water if people can't see you mm-hmm. because it could also indicate you might not see them. So uh, the best thing with that is to give those lights a chance to work. I don't know if, if where I am there's a lot of commercial boats and those guys they leave everything running all the time. They never shut radar off. They never shut their lights off. Primarily because it's usually a start-stop switch that's going to prevent it from working, not the light itself. But meanwhile, you're not going to know unless you try it. So it's a good idea to – I take my bulbs apart once in a while Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of look in there. Corrosion moisture has a way of getting into the wires, and in a a nav light, it can be so sealed up so tight that it never gets any air in there to dry. And uh, over time, it, I mean, it will work until it doesn't work. But when it doesn't work, that's when you need it. So you, you, that's the way that game works. And um, it's an important thing to have lights on a boat. Yeah. So Definitely. you see them when they look hazy or foggy. How do you square that away? Generally, what can help the plastic that uh, the, the bulb itself, um, I've found that um, it, 
the sun affects the outside and the age just affects the inside. So mm-hmm. the way to get it looking bright and clean again is to, you know, buff out that ha- buff out that globe. Mm-hmm. Generally, um, what I found that works out pretty good is a product called Novus. It's a um, it's a cleaner for uh, for just about everything on a boat, and it comes in one, two, and three. One being mild, two being a little abrasive, and three being heavy duty. But any kind of a polish will help to remove a lot of the residue that's on the outside and clean up the inside as well. The only suggestion I have when doing this, if you're going to take apart anything like a light bulb, a lot of times the fasteners can get stuck uh, because they've never been taken apart. Mm -hmm. And again, it's one of these things where force doesn't always win the battle or it wins the battle but loses the war, so to speak. (laughs) So you want to be careful that if you're going to unscrew anything, that you have a method to make sure that nothing can fall into the water. The world's greatest reservoir of old parts is the water. And um, that you just take your time, you know, unfastening and paying attention to how it comes apart and putting it back together and making sure it goes back the way it came apart so that you're not introducing now some kind of a way for, you know, salt water to get in. Depending on where people go boating, I think people that boat up on lakes and things, they have it made in the fresh water. It doesn't corrode the way it does in salt water. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but just the same, the, um, the idea too is when you're putting it together, if you put a little bit of uh, Vaseline or light grease on those screws, on the fasteners, they'll grow in and they'll come out. Um, even on one of my little Boston whalers, uh, they're, yeah, you know, I've had trouble getting screws out because they've never been out. And mm-hmm. old stuff doesn't really have the same resilience as new stuff. So yeah. you have to be careful. Yeah, I hear you on that. Uh, so fall coming, we're going to put up our vinyl enclosures just to stay toasty. Some of those early mornings or late nights. Um, how do you take care of the, the uh, Isinglass and the vinyl enclosures in a way that's going to hold up? What, what, what I like to do is make that part of a, of a, of a regular pro, uh, program mm-hmm. um, because of uh, a lot of my boating in salt water. Salt has a way of getting into the zippers, the snap fasteners, all those things. And enclosures by nature, they take a set from being in the sun. So they need to be dealt with very carefully and gently. I find the best way to keep the vinyl clean is to wash it good after a day on the water, but always with a soft spray, not with a hard spray. Hard spray can drive salt and dirt right into that uh, clear vinyl, and it'll haze up on you. Mm-hmm. So I like to use uh, a soft shower kind of a nozzle and just kind of get them wet, take a nice mitt that is soapy. And I on my boat, I have separate things for separate things. So the, my enclosure is washed with a separate uh, soft mitt, and I only use it on the enclosure so that I'm not transferring dirt from hardware or fiberglass or wood up to that enclosure. Yeah, you can scratch um, it. You know, when it rinses, yeah, it scratches real easily. And the same way with uh, drying it, um, I could, depending on where it is, sometimes you can use a squeegee if you have it, uh, if the water beads up pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to use the chamois, and the chamois that I use is just for my enclosure. Um, it's important to make sure that those zippers get flushed out very, very good mm-hmm. because 
again, that's one of the things that is easy to overpower if you get a little excited with its lack of response when you're trying to up, you know, get those zippers up and down. Mm-hmm. And if you start knocking the teeth out, you've really um, opened up a can of worms for uh, the rest of the season. Yeah. So, uh, again, a lot of gentle fresh water, rinse it good, dry it good. Never, ever, ever um, use uh, paper towels when you are putting a, a coat of wax or some kind of a protectant on the enclosure. Paper towels are made from trees. There's wood, there's splinters. Paper towels can really leave a lot of whirls and other scratch marks mm-hmm. on that clear vinyl. Um, even if you And you won't see it until the time that you do. And then when you do, it, 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 then you realize, oh, shoot, I've got a mess on my hands now. Yeah. Um, they, they make a number of uh, products for cleaning clear vinyl. Um, Rain-X is not one of them. Rain-X should not be used on any kind of clear vinyl. Uh, I made the mistake once using it on my Stratoglass, and I ruined a couple of panels because mm-hmm. the alcohol in the Rain-X had a reaction with the plastic. Got it. So Rain-X is great on glass. It's not good on vinyl. And I always tell people, don't just use whatever junk is in your dock box. Make sure you use the right product. Read the labels. People that I speak with, they always have problems, always complain about things. And I say, did you read the instructions? Well, you know, I've been doing this since forever. And I said, yeah, but you should have read the label. And um, so I learned of an expensive lesson with my Stratoglass way mm-hmm. back when. And um, and I, I say, say this only because uh, my boat was one of the first boats at the dock to have Stratoglass. And this is going back into the early 90s. So the material has also changed and gotten better. But the lesson learned was that think about what you're doing before you do it. Try it on a small area to be sure because you don't want to have a problem later on. So, But if you, if you can get um, – I like to use um, – Colonite makes a couple of good waxes mm-hmm. for this. Uh, one is called an insulator wax, and the other is called fiberglass wax. They're actually both the same thing. Okay. But the colonite people told me once that they can't sell fiberglass boat wax where there's no fiberglass boats. But the um, so they call it insulator wax. But it's it's a light wax, and it goes on very nicely. Comes off. I, I usually put it on with a sponge mm-hmm. and um, let it dry, and then buff it off, and it lasts a long time. You can tell. Um, you know, the water will beat up, you know, you have enough wax. When, when things stop beating up, whether it's your fiberglass or your enclosure, the wax is gone. Yeah. So it's, it's time to, uh, you know, get, get going on it. But, um, I think generally speaking, um, waxing an enclosure is something that should be done honestly twice a month, you know, once a month, if not twice a month, if yeah. you have the time. Because uh, when the water hits it, it usually hits it with uh, a spray, and then the sun beads, you know, beats on it and everything. And you want uh, you want to protect that vinyl because that's a very expensive uh, option on a boat. And um, trying to get people to do it nowadays is always challenging because they're busy. And um, a lot of prevention and care goes a long way in getting your mileage out of those enclosures. The other thing I always tell people, it's it's. I don't like rolling up an enclosure. 
for too long a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, people do it a lot of times in the morning, and if they roll it up, but they leave it wet, then all that water stays up in that rolled-up area. And when the sun beats on it, it gets hotter than heck, and uh, it can help to uh, leave spots on the material that then requires a little bit more elbow grease to get off. Yeah. So, um, like a lot of things on a boat, a little effort now pays off big in yeah. the long run. I hear on that, Pete. Today's Trawler Talk podcast is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts from 58 to 115 feet. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Um, speaking of, this is this seems like it requires zero effort, and this is something that I've done myself. It's I think you call it the walk-around. You want to talk yeah. about that for a minute? Yeah, I learned this from um, a guy that worked for a boat company. And he was in charge of quality control. Mm -hmm. And he would go around, and on his first pass, he would put all these little, like, orange dots. Mm -hmm. Then he would go around a second time with a different color dot. And anything that he missed on the first time, he would put another dot. And he did it three times with three different colors. And his idea was that then you're sure you've covered it fully. You haven't just given it the, you know, the bums a rush to get it done. So... Me, what I like to do is I like to take when I'm not doing anything, um, go around with the, you know, I, I like to test things like grab rails or outrigger fittings or rod holders. Um, something that is, is important to keep in mind with a boat, any place a screw goes, any place there's a fastener, there's a hole in part of your boat. Mm-hmm. So two things. If there's a hole, it has to be, caulked or sealed when the fastener goes in to prevent water from weeping in but secondly it, it also acts as a you know a, uh, an extra resistance to keep the fitting in place but it's not true of all parts it's not true of all boats so what i like to do is go around with a screwdriver and test all my screws test the screws that are holding the bow rail into the deck um, the fittings that are uh, scattered about the boat for cleats and um, all of these little items, and if you, I've countless times I've gone on and and found things to tighten up because you can't tell when a screw is actually loose. It, it may be fine looking at it, mm-hmm. but if you can take a quarter of a turn on it, you know that who knows how long that thing has been a quarter turn less than fully tight. So, and as you go around, you know you find things and you find things and. Um, I was on a friend's boat and we were doing it one day and I found a screw that kept on turning. And I said, you know, I think there's something going on here. We ought to see if we can get this screw out and see what's loose. And, and sure enough, it had been loose for quite some time. And the wood inside was wet on the threads when we pulled out the screw. Oh, no. So I said, oh, guess what? We just found out something else. And now that was one screw. So... It happens, you know, because boats, vibration, pounding, all those things that um, happen to your boat that you just take for granted, um, all of those components, they're all put together for a reason. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do, um, even with my uh, my little Boston Whaler, when I take it in for the winter, I unscrew a lot of the fittings that are holding the railing on just so that because there's a piece of plywood underneath it, and I'm sure it's rotten and no good, but um if I can get it to dry out over the winter in the garage, um, 
I can reseal it when I put it back in the water and, you know, put a dab of boat life or caulk or something in there mm -hmm. and then refasten it and everything. Um, but there's just, uh, I, you know, I've seen boats where they have things attached to the, the to the front of the flybridge mm -hmm. and it could be, uh, you know, railings for a hard top or, or whatever. And so those things have a way of um, loosening up little by little and water gets in there. And um, it's, it's something that um, just becomes a 15 minute job of learning what needs to be done. Yeah. And it, it certainly does go a long way in keeping things together. Boats are really the most, you know, durable and they don't mind when you ignore them. They're very, you know, they're very fine. The boats are great, but they, they take a lot of abuse mm -hmm. before they even finally, you know, let you know there's a problem. So uh, if you can stay ahead of it, you can be sure that um, in the long run, you're, you're increasing the value and the usability of your boat yeah. and the safety, especially. Okay. So, I hear you. And now it's, um, we're still in mid season and you're looking at your teak and your other, your other, uh, whatever's varnished on the boat. And you're like, Oh, it's in pretty good shape. You know, a light cleaning will last, but what do you, what else can you do mid season to well, keep that wood, you know, before you take it and make it a bigger job? Well, the, the, the key is that varnish, any kind of varnish, or uh, varnish more than paint because varnish is susceptible to ultraviolet light. So it starts to break down. And if you look at old varnish that is starting to craze or scratch or anything of that nature, it doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's hurting, but it's may not let go now, but it's, it's ready to let go. Um, bottom line is that varnish needs to be recoded long before it needs to be recoded yes. so that all your necessary, all that's necessary is to give it a light scuffing and a fresh coat of varnish. Um, doing that mid-season when you have nothing else to do will save you a lot of trouble uh, next spring when you put the boat in the water because it'll be one less thing to do. And chances are the varnish will be in good shape and then just needs another light coat, light sanding, a light coat, and there you go. You're ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, if you wait until the very last minute and the varnish starts to go bad, the the really kick in the pants is that the piece that you notice, if you look at all of it, it's probably the same way. So now you've gone from just doing a little touch up to you've got a major job ahead of you mm -hmm. and it's time consuming and it can be, you know, expensive and it's a lot of labor. So if you need to look at that all the time, you know, I, I love walking around a boat just looking at stuff because you see where the dirt collects, you see where there are problems where maybe the water never drains off completely. Mm -hmm. So the more you look, use your eyeball, the better you'll be at keeping uh, in time with what needs to be done. Similarly with fiberglass, I mean, most people talk about doing fiberglass waxing once or twice a year. The more you could do it, the better it's going to protect the gel coat. Mm -hmm. The gel coat is very porous. Uh, once it, uh, you know, once the elements get at it, it starts to haze up. It starts to get chalky. Um, there are no miracle pro. Well, there is. The, the only miracle product that works on a boat mm -hmm. is money. And if you have lots of money, it takes care of all your problems. But like us, we have to do it ourselves. Yeah. So 
um, it's it's important to um, keep track of the condition when you when you wash the boat. If the water doesn't beat up on those surfaces, that means there isn't any sealant on it in the form of wax to protect the uh, substrate. So you don't have to do the whole boat. Most of the time, the hull stays in pretty good shape. It's the vertical, uh, the horizontal surfaces that constantly are beat down by the sun mm-hmm. that is most effective. I mean, sun is very bad on a lot of boat elements. So the idea being, um, if you can get, you know, a quick coat of wax on something, and where I think people get frustrated with wax, mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily know that there's a difference between polish and wax. Again, what I said earlier is gel coat is very porous. It, it, if you look at it under a microscope, it looks like waves in there. And the wax fills up those waves, and that's why the light reflects off it and it looks shiny. But if the shine is no longer there, there's nothing protecting that gel coat. So it needs to be addressed. Step one would be to try uh, a little cleaner wax, which has a little fine abrasive in it, and that will oftentimes bring back the color, it'll it'll buff out some minor scratches and stuff, and you'll be able to tell. If you don't want to, if you want to cheat and try the wax, you can, but try a very small area to see if it works. And what I'm saying is that a lot of times that wax will get stuck in the pores that have been exposed by the lack of uh, protection on the material. So, if you put wax on it and you have a hellacious time getting it off, mm-hmm. it means that you can't wax anymore. You've got to clean the gel coat. You need to clean it, and that's going to be a polish or a cleaner wax or something Good point. to get it down to a smooth surface. So I think a lot of people um, try to skip it, and it, it, there's, no, there's no shortcuts in a lot of the boat maintenance. Mm-hmm. It's a, a really a bunch of sweat equity. But if it's done properly, you don't have to sweat that much. Yeah. But so I always do, I'll always do a real small area to make sure that what I want to do, it's going to work. Yeah. So if you, um, I've actually waxed an entire 42 foot post by hand and I did it because I knew it was in good shape and I checked it out and I did the whole dumb boat in a day and, um, it, it turned out great, but it was the hull and the hull, of course, as I say, it doesn't have that, um, you know, it's not exposed to the sun the same way that the uh, horizontal surfaces are. But I would also tell people that, you know, this may make a bell go off in their head. One side of their boat is always going to be worse than the other. Mm-hmm. And that's because that side of the boat spends more time in the sun than the other side does. Yeah. Um, it's something that I learned when I used to paint boats, that one side of the, the temperature changes all the time. And if you start painting on one side of the boat, by the time you get to the other side, a couple hours have gone by, the sun's in a different position, and that surface may be colder, maybe warmer than what you just did. So you can't just assume when you're doing it that it's going to be the same everywhere you go on the boat. And again, that's why I say it's good to try a small area, and um, you, you'll be able to control it better. And by doing it that way, too, you don't rush it. And you also find those other things, as I was saying, about the screws that are loose or fastens that are loose or where the varnish is letting go. And it, all of those things mm-hmm. really respond to a little bit of detective work. Yeah. And you just have to look. You know, you just look. You'll see it and um, pay attention to it. And even in those areas there, I always tell people, look, if you don't want to do it today, 
fine. But make a note and write it down somewhere because it needs to be done. Whether it's done now or later, it needs to be done. And it's up to you to decide how much effort you want to put into doing it. But boats are, you know, they're very expensive hobbies, and, and it doesn't hurt to spend a fair amount of time taking care of it. Pay now or pay later, I always say, Pete. Exactly. Yeah, and I've got one for you. We can. Uh, this is an easy one that we could probably wrap up our conversation with. But, um, you know, you're at the dock on a nice day with a sunny, light breeze. This is probably the easiest thing to do, and that's just airing out your boat and some of your PFDs and some other stuff. That's a great. That's a, that's a great point, Jeff. Open up everything. Get that fresh air in there. Um, the boat is. Uh, you know, boats are designed to keep the water out, but you can also keep the moisture in. Yeah. So that's why. Um, open up the anchor hatch. Mm-hmm. Let let that anchor line get. I pull my anchor line out twice a season. I just lay all three hundred feet of it all over the boat on a hot day mm-hmm. and dry it out. I'm sure it gets damp the minute I put it back in, but I just know that it's, you know, at some point, a lot of the uh, moisture has been taken out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, The same way with if you have hatches in the deck that you can lift up and um, get that air into the bilge, that's a great, great thing for a boat, too. Mm -hmm. And um, it's good because uh, it puts a um, just a flow of air. And if you can actually have that hatch in the cockpit, mm-hmm. that may go all the way up to the bow with air, fresh air. So if you've got air, the hatch open in the front, hatch open in the back, um, this is something that you do have to be careful of in that if anybody is coming on your boat, um, you know, make sure they know that these hatches are open, that you just don't have them, you know, walking around. Mm-hmm. And, and to that I always put something by a hatch, whether it's a can of varnish. That's actually the greatest thing to keep someone off your boat if you don't want them to bother you. Just leave an open can of varnish with a brush in it, and they'll stay away. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's just the air. You know, you need the fresh air. You need to air out your life jackets. If you have spare lines, air them out. Um, open up your doors and drawers. Let some air get in there. Um, I used to run a boat that we had fans going all the time just to circulate air inside mm-hmm. the boat. And we didn't need the air conditioner, but the idea that you were moving the air around, it just kept everything fresh. Yeah. Uh, cushions, you know, the, the people sit on cushions in wet bathing suits and, and the material sometimes get wet. Salt water never dries out. The salt always breeds more moisture. So um, it's important to try to get as much fresh air in the boat as you can and uh it just goes a long way in getting any kind of stale odors out of the boat and um, it keeps everything fresh and it also it kind of encourages you to keep a clean boat um mm-hmm. some people you know it's like <laughs> you think these people are on the voyage of the damned or something when you look inside your boat but <laughs> it, it really sh- it, it should be nice you know your boat the boats are so good for what you can do. They're your best friend. You should take care of them. Well said, Pete. And um, you address the checklist like this during the, you know, what we we'll call the heart or the mid part of the boating season. You're going to have uh, a great end to it and a better start next year. Well, it, it does. It leaves your boat in, in good shape and um, it, it encourages you to remember or recall the things that need to be addressed in the spring. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it reminds you, or I always use it as an example of, 
if you want something done in the spring, the best time to decide when you want to do it is in the fall so that you can alert the boatyard if you need to have work done there. If you want to get spare parts, now's the time to get them uh, rather than wait until the spring when there's a mad dash. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had some inventory problems throughout the industry. So sometimes it really stinks when you need, if you need a bilge pump, and you have a boat that has a bilge pump that the only pump that fits in that spot is the pump that you have. God forbid they stop making it. You'll be up the creek trying to figure out what to do. But if you know in advance that that's a, a good spare item to have, when you're wandering around the marine stores, it's a good time to pick them up. This way you have them on the boat, and um, it saves you a lot of aggravation. Um, when it just, I mean, I'm getting ahead of it, but it's springtime when we would do our annual maintenance mm -hmm. we would never haul out in the spring we would wait till everybody was done and go to the boatyard in june because everybody was gone by then in the springtime you're surrounded by all your friends that need help hey can you hold this can you fix it? and and you never get your own work done helping everybody else out <laughs> so if you kind of um compartmentalize what you need to be you know what you need to do get all the parts it's um you know, it, it makes it a heck of a lot easier and you can really start checking those things off your list. So mm -hmm. I think those are all important elements of uh, being a good owner, being a good operator, being a good skipper and uh, making your boat suitable for when you want to take people out and have a good time, have a ride and enjoy it. That's what it's all about, Pete, following an easy yes, and sir. thorough program. Well, thanks for your time today. Uh, we'll see you out there. I'll be there. I'll be there, Jeff. Thank you. Have a great day. Hi, right, Pete. Thanks. Bye. Today's episode of Trawler Talk is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue-water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With a model line ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts has the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, a long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels.